I preach this sermon tonight with a little fear and trembling. It deals with the subject of slander, gossiping, backbiting, and we all know that those are good things to talk about. And we all know that we're not guilty of any of that. But we all know somebody who is. If there's anything that I sometimes dislike speaking on, it's I, I don't really like talking about the devil because I know the next day he gets me. And when I speak about how to have Christian unity, it seems like it always backfires. I've tried sometimes, you know, I want all the married people to be so happy. So I speak on how husbands are supposed to treat their wives and the wives are supposed to treat their husbands and they just get into more fights. Sometimes I think I'd have been better off just let it alone. It wasn't as bad, maybe. Somebody just said amen. Okay. <laughs> I like y'all too. But tonight I do want to speak a little bit on, on Christian unity. You said, now that's going to be boring. I can tell already that's going to be a boring message. Well, maybe, maybe it will be. It's probably not going to rank up there with my A game, you know. I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew and chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. The disciples came to Jesus and they had asked him a question. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Remember, we talked about the kingdom of heaven several times. Uh, that period of time where the king from heaven sets up a kingdom upon the earth. That starts in the book of Daniel in chapter 2 where it says, In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom upon the earth. This is the stone that comes down and smites the ten toes and sets up his kingdom. So we know it's Christ. But then who's going to be the greatest? Can you imagine the disciples getting together and, hey, who's going to be number one? And, you know, it even caused some problems. Because Mama, she said she had two sons, and she wanted one to sit on one side and one to sit on the other side. And Jesus told him, says, um, you don't understand quite how this works. You see, it's not so much as I'm just going to appoint somebody to do it. He says, it's because of what you do. It's your faithfulness. And that God wants to reward your faithfulness. But he says, a man, in order to be great in the kingdom of God or in the kingdom of heaven, has to be like a little child. So he brought a little child and set him there in the midst. And you'll see there in verse 3, excuse me, verse 2. And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. And said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then he talks about, don't offend one of these little ones. Woe to the offender. Who offends. So this is a sermon, I guess you could say, uh, the offender and the offended. Now you and I, if we live long enough, we know it's only a matter of time before we offend someone. Or someone offends us. It's the world in which we live. Because we're sinners and we have expectations and we really don't like people offending us. You know, getting on our case. Saying things we don't like. Jumping in front of us in their car, you know, when I'm booking down the road and then here comes Uncle George and he pulls right in front of you and you're going 90 and he pulls out and he's going 10 and you want to just 
push them on off the road. But we all get offended by something. Now, if you come to this church long enough, let me tell you before it happens so that you'll know that when it happens, I told you so, and you're not supposed to let it bother you. But you're going to let it bother you anyway. But I still got to tell you, I'm going to offend you. Sooner or later, I will hurt your feelings. Because you'll think, the preacher shouldn't have said that. Because I talk a lot. Well, I do. Every time you see me, I'm talking. Or eating. But I talk a lot. And when you talk a lot, you're going to say something that maybe you shouldn't have said. And if I listen to you long enough, you're going to say something that offends me because you're not going to always do what I tell you to do that I know you should do, and you're not going to do it anyway. Do you know there's people that probably come to church, and it doesn't matter what I teach, they will not move. Their favorite song in the Bible is, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. And you're not going to move them. Well, the preacher gets offended sometimes too. And the people get offended. We hurt each other's feelings. If you've been married for any length of time, it's only a matter of time before you offend each other. It doesn't matter. Well, we're just so sweet. We'll never hurt each other's feelings. Yeah, you will. And the same thing with children and the adults. But now, what I want you to see here is something that God says how to solve a problem. And most times we don't really want to solve the problem the way that we should. I want you to look there in verse 15. Verse 15. He says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell everybody you can. Put it in the church bulletin. Announce it on radio. But make sure everybody knows what he did to you. Is that what it says? No, see, it doesn't say that. There are some things that God says that we should not do. So he says, if thy brother. Now, it could be somebody in your own household. Maybe it's talking about a brother in the church. Uh, somebody in the same family. Uh, the family of God. But whatever it does say, it does say, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now, there are several things that I mentioned here. And one is, if your brother says or does something that offends you. There is a statement here that says, go to him. Go to the individual and try to make it right. And you're to keep in mind that in the verses right before this, he gave an illustration about the sheep that had gone astray. And we are all like sheep, and we all go astray. We all don't always do everything right. And so there's uh, some problems that we have. So in trying to understand what does God want me to do and how to solve a problem, because it's only a matter of time, like I said, that we will offend each other. It says, go to him. Now, going to an offending brother to restore him is one of God's greatest tests of genuine love. Do you really love the person that offends you? So you're always going to be tested. So let's pretend that somebody does offend you, whoever it may be. That is a test of do you love the person who just wronged you? You start right there. Now, if you love the person, how should you respond to someone that you love? 
You get out a hand grenade, bazooka, you, you want to kill them? No, if it's somebody you love, you treat them differently than somebody you hate. So from a Christian point of view, God says, love the whole world. Love everyone. Now, I can even love a Muslim, but I don't have to love the ways of a Muslim. I can love every sinner, but not his ways. And I'm supposed to still try to do what is right by the individual, try to love them to the Lord, try to get them to trust Christ as Savior. Now, I want you to take your Bible and just look at this word in the book of Proverbs in chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15. And don't lose your place in Proverbs because I, I, I got a few verses that I want to show you from there. And you'll be going back to it. But first of all, and this is uh, something that I've, I'm still working on. I haven't got this down to a science yet. Uh, now, you may have it all worked out, and it, nothing bothers you anymore. But look what he says in verse 1. A soft answer turneth away wrath. A soft answer turneth away wrath. But grievous words do what? Stirreth up anger. Now, is it possible for you to stir up anger? I get so easily stirred up. And then afterwards, I'm mad at myself. Because I do. Because I know I'm not supposed to. And I do it anyway. Now, that's why I say, I'm glad that you're not like me. You wouldn't do that. But I sometimes have a, a weakness that I want everything to go my way. I wouldn't get mad at anybody if they just do whatever I tell them to do. But not everybody does that. And so you've got to live with it. Remember this, Satan's program of defeat is to cut off the lines of communication. He doesn't want you to try to solve the problem. He wants you to magnify the problem. Always remember that. Someone wrongs you. All right. Satan wants to cut off the lines of communication between you because he wants the problem to grow. Always try to believe that behind the scenes there is a devil who wants to destroy. And sometimes the devil is able to use Christians. Now, I know that's hard to believe. But sometimes God's children do the devil's work. You're doing the work of the devil. But you may not even be aware that you're doing it. And though that's what happens whenever we don't do things God's way. It's easy sometimes to just pass judgment and figure out they're wrong and then try to forget about it. But just trying to forget about it sometimes doesn't solve a problem. God didn't say that, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, just forget about it. They didn't say that. It's not just to forget about it. There's sometimes you might need to solve a problem, try to find out what's causing the problem. Why does someone feel that way about me? Or why did they do a certain, certain thing? But just to render a judgment in your mind, and then not try to resolve it, sometimes it can eat at you on the inside like cancer. And it can linger there. Uh, they talk about sometimes of uh, cancer or even uh, chicken pox. Once you've got the virus, it can linger in your body, and they say it's in uh, remission. And then you never know when it's going to come out and get you. Well, I've experienced a little bit of that. But that's what problems can do when they're not resolved. They haunt you. And they eat at you like cancer. And they can destroy you. Remember, a person's life can be destroyed 
by things that happens to them on the outside, but also by things that happen to them on the inside. Sometimes it's not what you're eating that's problem. It's what's eating you that's the problem. And a lot of people have things they're eating at them that they never get taken care of. And it needs to be done. It's easy to tell someone else in genuine concern and hope that somebody else will take care of the problem. Because it's easy to take and mention a problem to somebody who is not a part of the problem or part of the solution. But you just hope they'll solve the problem because you don't want to solve the problem. It's the most difficult thing in the world to go to the person that wrongs you and try to make it right because we don't want to face that individual. We would rather not. But sometimes if a person doesn't do it, the person who does the wrong has a tendency to do it again and again and again and again because nobody calls them down on it. Nobody confronts that individual in order to help that person, and they may not always be aware of what they're saying or doing, and yet they could have had somebody because they love them and care about them and in a, a loving manner talk to them and pray for them and so forth that could have really made a difference. And it's also very easy to go to the person who's wronged you and boldly go and tell them how wrong they are but don't listen to what they have to say because you've already judged they were wrong and you're going to get even for whatever. So uh, one of the first things that you have to do before you go to a person who has wronged you. Remember it says in the book of Matthew in chapter 7, and we may look at that in just a little bit, that it's best to get the two before out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to get that little splinter out of somebody else's eye. In other words, God said, in, first of all, examine thyself. Examine yourself. We can always spot the error in everybody else's life, the faults, the flaws they have. We can always see the dirt in everybody else's life. But very seldom do we turn the spotlight around and look at ourselves and see what we need to do or correct and how to solve that problem. In the book of Romans in chapter 2 and verse 1 to verse 7, where it talks about, Ye that condemn others and judge others, doest thou not the same thing? Are you guilty of doing to others what somebody did to you, and you're offended by that? But you do the same thing to everybody else. Sometimes God will allow things to happen to you because he wants to reveal to you what's wrong in your own life. And God wants you to examine yourself because when you go to help somebody else see the error of their way, they just might tell you about the error of your ways. Sometimes this is why we're afraid to go to somebody, because have you ever heard somebody say, before you tell me about what I need to do, you need to clean up your own backyard. Well, what do they mean by that? It means you've got faults too. So instead of you trying to correct me, why don't you go straighten out your own life? Do they have a point? They might have a point. And so we're sometimes easily offended by the very thing that we're guilty of doing to other people. So this is why we, first of all, we do that. And in the book of 1 Samuel in chapter 12 and verse 23, it talks about, did you pray about this? Did you pray about it? Did you pray about what they did or about what you understood? Did you pray about your feelings, about how you received it? 
What did it do to you emotionally? What did it do to you spiritually? How is it affecting you? Is it making you worse than you were before? Or is it uh, making you wiser? I had to tell this to several people. Because they had allowed themselves to be hurt by what somebody said. And so they were not going to keep serving the Lord and doing right because they were so hurt. And I says, serving the Lord means you have to serve the Lord as though you have never been hurt. You cannot allow all the people in the world and all the wrong that they do to so hurt you that you stop loving people. That you're afraid to go out on the limb because you don't want to be hurt anymore. If that was the case, I would have to stop being the pastor. Because see, over the years, 40-something years that I've been preaching, you have no idea how many hours, weeks, years that I have put in the people and have them turn on me and knife me in the back and try to destroy me and my ministry. And I've done them no wrong except I love them. I, try to, I want them to Christ and then teach them to serve the Lord, challenge them to serve the Lord, and teach them enough Bible where they can challenge you on it. And then tell you what you're doing that's wrong. And what you ought to do. And just rake you over the coals. And as the pastor, many times, the pastor can't say anything. The pastor can't do anything to stop it. And even if he goes to the person, and you try to get it settled correctly, People can say things and plant seeds in people's minds that you can't get out of their mind. The seeds are there for the rest of your life. It don't have to be true. Somebody can say something about you to somebody else and it not be true, but they'll never come to you and they'll believe it for the rest of their life. But they never got it resolved. And it can be a terrible thing. It's a wicked thing to do. So this is why you need to be very, very careful. You should always examine and say, now, have I been the kind of an example that I'm supposed to be? What kind of an example am I? What have I said or what have I done that would bring the criticism that comes to me? Maybe there's something that we do. Sometimes we don't always see ourselves the way we really are. And sometimes we respond in such a way and we answer in such a way that um, it's kind of hurting. Sharp words. But we didn't see it that way because we didn't mean it that way, but it still come across that way. Sometimes whenever we let people become the interpreter of what we mean because we're not clear, you can't blame the interpreter for what he interpreted, what his uh, understanding was, because we were not clear ourselves. I want you to take your Bible look in the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians in chapter 6. Galatians in chapter 6. I want you to look there in verse 1. Galatians 6 and verse 1. And it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault. You say, what's the fault? A Christian walking in the flesh from the previous chapter. So if you see a brother walking in the flesh, and uh, he's bringing forth the works of the flesh, well then you that are spiritual are walking in the spirit. Remember in chapter 5, verse 16, walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, if you see a Christian that is walking in the flesh, what do you do about it? Well, number one, draw attention to that person. Make sure everybody knows that they're walking in the flesh. And if they fall, you walk up and put your foot on their head and push them down into the mud. And make them cry uncle. And let them know you saw everything. 
you know one of the best ways, I think, of Christians to live? One eye and one ear. Don't see everything and don't hear everything. In working with teenagers, I had to develop that. Because at first, I saw everything they did wrong. And I knew what I expected of them. And I wanted so much for these kids. But they can't see what I want for them. They're blind as a bat. And everything that they said, everything they did, man, I could so criticize everything. And I could see every area of flesh. And they just revel in it. And I wanted them to be so spiritually minded. I wanted them to be so godly. And they were so worldly. Boy, I had a problem. And I realized, see with one eye and hear with one ear. Because I would become so bitter and so critical at them because they disappointed me over and over again because I wanted so much for them. Don't they see what I want for them? No. Don't they care? No. Don't they care about me and my feelings like I care about them? No. And a lot of people... They don't care what you think. They don't care how you live. Most of them just leave me alone and let me do my thing. Don't you know this is the 21st century? This is everybody do whatever makes you happy century. And yet you love them. But you also got to realize that with people you have to be patient. If people see fault in me, don't you think I see a few in you? No, I don't see anything wrong with y'all. <laughs> Y'all little darlings, y'all are perfect little angels, you are. And somebody says, thank you. <laughs> Somebody's getting the wrong message here. But look what he says here. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. In other words, except for the grace of God, it could be you. And be careful how you judge somebody because, you know, it might come back home to roost. If you want to receive mercy, then you need to show mercy. If you want a little grace from people, then maybe you need to show a little grace to people. If you want to receive a little forgiveness, maybe you need to give a little forgiveness. You know, the Bible says you reap what you, what you sow. You sow meanness, you might reap meanness. But if you sow some kindness, you might reap a little kindness. And a soft answer turneth away wrath. So, for example, it's so easy between boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, uh, say something bad, and if that person comes back bad, boy, you can get at it real quick. But if they answer with a real soft voice, it kind of deflates you because you know that's what I should have done. Especially when you're supposed to know better. And we fail. We mess up. In Matthew chapter 7, and verse 3 and 5, where it talks about, you know, realizing what you're doing and how you're saying these things. Look over there very quickly in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew and chapter 7. And look there in verse 3. Verse 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly 
to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. See, it didn't say you couldn't see the mote. It didn't say that you can't help the mote out of his eye. It just says, make sure you get the two before out of yours first. That's why he said, be careful that you judge, that you be not judged. In other words, so that when you try to correct somebody, they're going to try to correct you back. So, if, first of all, examine your own life. Is there something that is in my life that could hinder someone from being the way they ought to be? Could they stumble over my pride, my arrogance? Because, you see, we don't always see ourselves the way we are. But we sure can dissect other people very easily. And we can see all their faults and all of their flaws. You see, whenever you go and tell him his fault to him alone, it's um, got several good points to bring out. It assures you that you're loyal because you went to the person, because you want to resolve the problem. You're not condemning, and you're coming as a learner. Or is there something that I've said or done that caused you to react toward me this way or for you to say what you said? Have you, you ever said these words? I didn't mean that. You said something, and somebody took it, and they got hurt because of it. And then later on you find out, you said, I didn't mean that. I have said a lot of things. I didn't mean that. I didn't say it the right way. And you can say things with a certain tone. Or say something, and you get a word left out that can change the whole meaning of it. As you get a little bit older, <laughs> like I am, and I have a hearing aid in this ear, and I got another one for this one, but I can't stand it with both of them in there because they just talk back and forth and I can't understand anything. And sometimes I can't hear the words, and then when I can hear the words, I can't discern what the words are. And I was sitting talking with somebody today, and I, I could not hear what they were saying. And it's very, very difficult. I just hope that people don't get offended because of it. Or sometimes you may talk to me, and I give you an answer that clean off the books. Has nothing to do with what you asked. Because what you said and what I heard are not even in the same room. And all I can say is, I'm sorry about that, but I can't improve that. I don't know how to improve that. I've asked people over and over again sometimes, I says, huh? What? And sometimes it gets to be a, a joke. And sometimes I just figure, I don't guess I really need to know what they said. And if I gave an answer... And nobody said anything strange. I guess it was the right one. Whatever the question was, I don't know. But I know that I've lived long enough, and so have you, that sometimes we say something, but we don't mean that. Or we didn't mean for people to take it in the wrong way. And so sometimes it happens, and people get offended. But when somebody comes to you, how they do it is so important. And so that's why you need to understand there's things about attitudes that you have. The attitude by which you can be confronted. Can somebody confront you with a problem without you falling apart? Without you getting mad and coming and glued on the person? 